Hey everybody, it is Pastor Paul here at Four Oaks Church on a Thursday morning, January 27th. So glad you've dropped in and are hanging out with us for this Four Oaks Pastoral Devotional. This is where we have an opportunity to take a little portion of scripture, digest it, apply it to our lives, and let it sort of propel us out into our into our day. And so we are in Romans 6 right now. And so we've been preaching through the book of Romans at Four Oaks on Sunday mornings, and we're using these times to, to digest some pieces um, that maybe we didn't have time to spend uh, on that particular Sunday or something that that we want to explore in a little more depth. And that's what we've been doing with Romans 6, 1 through 14. Pastor Scott preached on this passage, and this week we've been drawing out some of the implications of this idea of union with Christ. And one we, we, we've said three things so far. Number one, we've said that by virtue of our union with Christ, this is where our ultimate assurance of salvation is grounded. It's not grounded in the quality of our faith or the quantity of our faith, although faith is important. It's, in, it's, in, it's crucial to receiving the gift of salvation. But if, if our assurance is ultimately based upon our, our faith and, and our assurance begins with me or I or whatever, then we've missed what Paul is saying here. Our, our, our salvation is assured as believers because we were unified with him on the cross and his death and resurrection. The second thing we said about this implication of union with Christ is that um, we are now able to say um, with, with certainty that Jesus died for me. See, the way we, we often talk about um, Jesus dying for us is that Jesus died in a in a ethereal, um, almost a theoretical sort of way for this mass of humanity. But in reality, um, as Paul says in First Timothy, that while Jesus is the Savior of the world, He is the Savior particularly, okay, of those who believe. Which means that that brings just such a sweet taste of of assurance to us as believers to know that Jesus didn't just die to make salvation possible for a bunch of unknown people. He died to make salvation possible for his, and certain, I'm sorry, he died to make salvation certain for his people. Um, and then yesterday, we talked about this idea that by virtue of our union with Christ, we now um, can present ourselves, our members, our the, the totality of our beings and our, and, and our bodies and everything that we are, to him to as an instrument of righteousness right and that that we don't have we're not disembodied beings where we profess one thing but what we do in the flesh doesn't matter no paul says um part of our act of worship is that we present ourselves to god we bring ourselves before him and under his word and we submit our being all of our faculties, all, all that we are, all that we do with our hands, feet, our tongue, and, and all of that, Christ has a claim on us because he is our new master now. So, so that's where we've been. Now, this morning, I want to talk about um, some implications for, for understanding this idea of, of union with Christ and how we have been crucified with him and what we can say based upon that and what we cannot say. Because oftentimes we can we 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 can vacillate on a spectrum of of doing one of two things, okay, when it comes to thinking about 
the death of Christ and us being crucified with him. On, on one hand, we can understate the impact of this doctrine, okay? Understate it and thus underapply it and thus not experience all the things that God and blessings that God has for us in the new birth. Or we can overstate it um, and expect things of this new birth in this life that this life was not intended to, to communicate. So, so we're going to talk about both of those things. We, we want to keep a right balanced perspective on the horse. We don't want to fall off on one side or the other. Uh, we want to, we want to align with what Paul says in the word here. So let, let's go back to Romans six and let, let's, let, let's read here. Verse one, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, one of the things that, that may be like anecdotally obvious, okay, and that may, may not need a lot of explanation, okay, but, but I think is an assumption here by Paul is that even though we have been crucified with Christ, as Paul says here in verse five, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. That, that it's very tempting to, to, to make that say something that it doesn't. It's very tempting to say, well, then obviously I should be able to master sin. I should be able to progress through sanctification um, to such a point that I no longer sin anymore or no longer sin of great consequence. And, and you can particularly hear this kind of in, in therapeutic communities or healing language where people might say, well, you know, at one time I was, uh, I struggled with this addiction or I was enslaved to this particular sin, but now I'm free. Now I'm healed. Now I'm, 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 I'm moved past that. Now, this is not to say that God doesn't work supernaturally through our sins, addictions, and struggles. It's not to say that God cannot decisively move us um, away from one sin area um, into righteousness, most certainly. But we need to be careful about how we talk about these things, because one of the things that Paul recognizes is that even though our old self has been crucified, even though we have a new master, you and I, to the day we die, will continue to sin. We will continue to struggle. We will continue to, to deal with the brokenness in our life. We'll, we'll deal with our physical bodies deteriorating. We'll feel, we'll still experience the old man, the old self and, and it waging war within us. Paul's going to get to this in Romans seven, where Paul talks about doing the things he doesn't want to do and not doing the things that he wants to do. And we'll, we'll save that for another time and place. But, but for now, we need to be reminded, okay, um, of just the seriousness of sin, how devastating its impact, its consequence. Um, we need to be on guard against it. We don't need to be naive about it. We don't ever need to assume that we have, quote unquote, grown past it or mastered it. Um, and this is because of the already and the not yet. Jesus has died for us. We have been united with him in his death, while at the same time, we await our final consummation of being with him. We, we await that final point where he will come and he will raise us uh, to a permanent, 
eternal place where there is no sin anymore. And so, so this just kind of gives us, I think, a measure of humility. We don't want to be triumphalistic. We don't want to be naive. We don't want to be prideful and arrogant um, in the way that we think about our areas of previous struggle. We need to say, to couch our language and posture more in one of humility of, yes, this is who I was, but by God's grace, this is who I am now. And I'm continuing to depend upon his grace and his mercy and all that I do. This, this means that we have um, a, a sense of, uh, we're not surprised, right? When we see sin creep into our lives, we're not surprised when we see others struggle with various areas of sin. Um, this is part and parcel of what it means to be human and to await our final redemption. So that's one side of the horse, okay? That we don't want to we don't want to fall on. And because again, a lot of people walk away um, in bitter disappointment um, because people or themselves or others have failed them or let them down or disappointed them. And the reality being, as long as sin reign, as sin is is dwelling in our mortal bodies, we're gonna we're gonna wrestle with sin and its consequences. On the other hand, okay, and this might be more pertinent to where a lot of us, okay, in our theological circles would would orbit. We also don't need to underestimate what has happened in the new birth. Okay, let, let, let's go back and, and look at the text again. Paul says, we know, no, this is verse six in chapter six, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Okay, uh, verse eight. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We, and here's the key verse, verse nine. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What Paul is talking about here is that even though we continue to wrestle with sin, we are no longer who we were. And the chief difference being that at one time, the Spirit of God did not live in us, but now the Spirit of Christ dwells in us, that our old self has been crucified in the flesh. And what that means, it doesn't mean that we cease to, to, to struggle with sin. What it means is we now have a new master. We now have a new Lord. We now have a new capacity for obedience. We now have a new capacity for change. There, for, for the believer, there is no one who is truly, all right, outside the grace of God and his ability to transform us by his grace. And while we hear the, the, axiom, the axiom, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, or the best, the, best, uh, the best predictor for future behavior is past behavior, those are all true in a human sense. But there is a spiritual equation that trumps those, right? There's a spiritual equation that says God can do anything to anyone at any time. He can work, he can change, he can move. And those of you, you may have amazing testimonies, amazing stories, you may be familiar with stories where people made just the most radical, significant changes in their life by the grace of God, um, despite all um, appearances and circumstances to the contrary. And so we, we don't, we, 
we we don't want to ever get into a mindset of defeatism to say, well, this is who I am and that's never going to change. These are my struggles and they're never going to improve. Now, there, there's certain things, yes, we're always going to carry with us. There's certain struggles that we're always going to wrestle with. But oftentimes we need to think about this as a matter of degrees, right? That this idea of becoming dead to sin and alive to righteousness, this is the process that Paul is talking about. And the reason that's possible is that we now have a new Lord. We now have a new master. We now have a new king. And because of that, we have a new allegiance and we have a new spirit, the Holy Spirit, who lives within us. And I think for a lot of us in our particular theological circles, this is a this is a reminder, a truth that we need to keep before us at all times. And this is why we can say with Paul, we do not lose hope, right? We 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 grieve sin, but we are hope-filled grievers. And so 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 not not falling off the horse on either side of despair nor of triumphalistic naivete about the impact of sin in our lives is so, so important. And the reason we can say this is because, and our hope is in this, is not because of us, but because of Jesus and what he's done for us. All right, so there we are for a Thursday morning. Tomorrow, same time, same station, will be the final devotional of the week before we move forward in Romans 6. So glad you joined us. Let me pray. Lord, go before us today. Lord, we want to exercise and walk in humility um, and dependence upon you, placing our hope in you, not despairing over our sin, but coming to you, asking that you would do miraculous things through your spirit to make us more like Jesus. And Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. See you tomorrow.